Well, how are we doing this morning? Well, turn to John 10. John chapter 10. As you're going there, I want you to think about this. Um, Are you naturally a leader or a follower? Are you naturally a leader or a follower? Now, we could have a discussion right now about which one's more important or if one is more important than the other. Um, If a Christian is called to be a leader or a follower... Or both. But what we're going to look at today in John chapter 10 um, is an illustration that's all over the Bible. I think over 500 times the scriptures talk about sheep and a shepherd. And it's just it's a powerful illustration of who we are and what we're called to as God's people. So let's, let's jump in and let's see what this illustration holds. Let's see what Jesus, see what the Lord has for us this morning. John 10, beginning at verse 1. Here's what it says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, if you've been around church for any amount of time, you probably have some thoughts and understanding of this illustration. If you haven't, maybe you're you know, a sheep herder in your spare time, so maybe you have some bearing on what we're doing here. But let me show you a picture um, of a sheep pen. Coop, fire that up there for me, buddy. Um, Now, generally, this is what uh, a a sheep pen would look like. Uh, It would have walls built with some type of stone um, or some type of object and be three, four feet tall. At times, they'd put vines over it as a roof. Um, in this picture, you'll notice that there's one entrance, and that's typically all, the way it would always go down, is you'd have one opening, and that opening would be the door. Um, and what would happen is, literally, the gatekeeper would sit right there and would guard the gate. Okay, that's, that's the illustration here that, that we're looking at. Now, Before we continue, one thing I need you to understand and we need to remember is what just took place. So this story, this illustration, um, the story of the Good Shepherd comes right on the heels or follows what story that we just looked at. The Pharisees rebuking Jesus, rebuking this man born blind, literally casting him out of the church, casting him out of the synagogue... And so Jesus, right after that story, look at what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief 
and a robber. So here, essentially, what Jesus is saying is these religious leaders that have just cast this man out of the synagogue, he's calling them thieves and robbers. He's like, the clergy of the day, the, the, the people that are supposed to be pushing individuals toward the things of God, literally in this moment, are pushing them away from the things of God. And here in this story, we see that. We see these individuals that really, they're creating this other way, this self-righteousness that we've talked about the past couple weeks, the self-righteousness that we have in trying to get to Christ or even maintain relationship with Christ by maintaining our own righteousness. Now, um, a little bit more about this picture. So, typically in a given community, um, in this culture, um, and even in other parts of the world, there'd be, uh, there'd be one sheep pen. And what they would do is there'd be several shepherds. And those shepherds um, would be out in the fields with their sheep throughout the day. And then at night, they'd bring the sheep to the pen. And they would all, all these several different shepherds would, would send their sheep in the pen. And then they would hire a gatekeeper. It's like you see that guy right there. They hire him to stay there all night long. And he acts really two parts. Um, he acts as a, a protection from anything that would try to enter, um, anything that would try to uh, get to the sheep, and he acts as the door where he would stay there um, and block the door so that no one can get in. No animals, no individuals. Um, now, morning would come. The shepherds would come to the door, and obviously because they hired the guy, the guy would know him, Right? So a shepherd would come to the gatekeeper and be like, oh, hey, you know, how was your night? Like, you know, you, the guy's known to the shepherd and to the gatekeeper. And then here's what would happen. The shepherd would begin to call, call out his sheep. Now, what happens throughout the night? The sheep begin to intermix in the sheepfold. You know, this shepherd's sheep and this shepherd's sheep and this shepherd's sheep are all intermixing in this, in this pen. And then it's time for them to go out into the fields and find food and... So the shepherd begins to call them out, one by one by one. That's the illustration that's here, okay? Now, look at verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Okay, so he's literally calling the sheep by name. You know, come here, Lucy. Morning. Oh, bad hair day today, huh? Come on out, come on out, come over here, come on, come on, John. Okay, whatever. Um, calling them by name, leading them out. Verse 4, and when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they would not follow, but they would flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. So, John isn't going to go to the foreign shepherd when he's called. He's going to go to his shepherd. He's going to go because he knows his voice. He's not going to follow a stranger. Okay, now, packed in these three verses here is an unbelievable amount of truth that we can walk away with. So I want to, I want to look at three specific things. Look, at, look back at verse 3. I want to talk about the power in a name. Okay, look at verse 3. It says, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Okay, now, okay, they're sheep. 
Anybody else with me? Okay, now, some of you are like animal lovers, and you know, okay, like I'm like, they're sheep. But here's the amazing picture: every single one of them has a name. Like, does that show? Does that not show this intimacy between the shepherd and his sheep? Does that not show intimacy between God, the good shepherd, and you and I? Every one of us is known. Every one of us has a name. Now, what's in a name? A name has a unique identity, okay? It signifies a a certain individual. Um, So, the Lord's entrusted to my wife and I two kids that just recently became orphans. One of the little girls, or there's only one little girl, the little girl. Um, I don't have several. Um, So, we have this name for her. No, it's a nickname, um, but ever since she came into care, it was, what, uh, it was what we've always called her, and it is what her brother calls her, is her name is Sister. And so all the time, hey, Sister, you know, um, and so that's what we call her, and there's so much in that, because here, presently, here's a little girl, and here's a little boy that have no father and have no mother, but what I tell them all the time is, this is your Sister. I tell the little boy that. You protect her. You watch out for her. This is your sister. You'll always have her. You'll always be together, Lord willing. There's something significant in that word, sister. She's a sister to him. Now, she doesn't understand it or know it, but she loves when we call her that. We have a song, and I won't embarrass myself in this moment, but if you're ever around, we um, have some fun with it. But there's something powerful about a name um, so much so in Matthew 18, it says if a, if a man has, Jesus is teaching and there's a parable, and he says if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I will say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that ever went astray. I mean, how many of us would not think, okay, I got a hundred. We lost one. You know, especially if it was like the one. We lost one. Yes. No, what, what does the shepherd do? He goes in search of the one. The one. And when he finds it, he rejoices over finding the one more than the fact that the 99 remained with him. How much power does that show in the one orphan? The one child slave the one neighbor the one coworker the one classmate unbelievably power and significance and you know what it does is it gives us hope Because how easy is it to look at the world and our calling as God's people, not to be the Savior, but to bring the hope of the Savior to the many. And we're like, huh, huh, I don't know what to do. Like, I got this huge neighborhood, I got all these friends, and we're like, where's the one? Who's the one God's called you to? They have a name, they have an identity, they have a significance. 
change the world by reaching that one. It's powerful. That's the significance. That's what we see here in this story, in this illustration. He calls, he calls them by name. But another thing, keep, keep reading. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they would not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. So there's something significant here about a voice. Um, have you ever uh, tried to pull like a prank on the, on the phone? Like by trying to act like you're somebody else, like, you know, somebody's phone rings and it's sitting there and you try to pick it up and act like them. Um, I actually did this the other day. It was a bad signal, but um, somebody called for their fiance and I tried to answer the phone and be like, hey, babe, what's up? You know, like see if I could get some awkward conversation going. No, um, that's totally what would have happened, but thank the Lord we had a terrible signal. Um, Or, um, so my kids love to do this. I'm sure all of you parents um, have never experienced this. Uh, my kids love to lock each other out of their rooms. So, um, like, my son will go in his room, and he'll lock the door. My, my daughter and son share a room. And he'll lock the door, and Mikhail's, like, outside the door. Like, open the door, open the door. And then and she'll be like, Tobin, open the door. <laughs> it's daddy. Tobin, you better listen to me. It's daddy. One, two. Okay, like, okay, now, Tobin never falls for it. (laughs) Ever. Okay? Why? Because he knows my voice. And Mikhail's not very good at impersonating it. Although she'll try, and it's hilarious, and it's fun. But we notice here that these shepherds, their voice is known by the sheep. Okay? Now, sheep don't have, sheep have phenomenal peripheral vision. But as far as depth perception goes, the average sheep can't see very well. Okay? But what they have that's pretty amazing is their ears and the ability to hear and the value of a voice and recognizing a voice. But what do you need for a voice to be known? Anybody? Like in order to know someone's voice, what, what has to happen? Like you got to spend some time with them, right? There's some relational investment that these shepherds are caring, caring, caring for their sheep. There's relational investment that's happening. The voice is known through that. Now, how do we know the voice of God? Let me, let me, let me phrase, phrase it this way. What is the voice of God for the believer? The Holy Spirit. Absolutely. The Holy Spirit is the voice of God. Okay? And listen, the more time you spend with the Lord, the more you begin to hear His voice, the more you begin to know His voice, but equally so, the more you begin to recognize voices that aren't his. My kids have spent enough time with me to know the difference between a fake daddy voice and a real daddy voice. Okay? Time. Relational rent. Relational investment. And notice it says, a stranger they will not follow. 
Like there's some, like, let me ask you this. Do you know the voice of God? Do you know his voice? Do you spend time with him? Like when he calls, can you hear him? When lies are spoken to you, can you discern? Man, that's not the Lord. That's not the Holy Spirit speaking condemning thoughts about this situation. Speaking hopeless thoughts about this situation. That's not the Lord. Because the Lord, that's not who he is. That's not his voice. You know a voice by being with. And the last thing that I see here that I think is powerful is this picture of authority. Okay, look at the beginning of verse 4. It says, And when he has brought out his, all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So there's something significant here about how this takes place. So probably what we're familiar with and what we see in movies and um, what you sheep herders do all the time is uh, you have a sheep dog. And in most of Western cultures, like the sheep, like the shepherds and the dogs would push the sheep. So if they want to send the sheep over there, they get behind them and like push them in the direction of greener pastures. Okay. Well, in Eastern culture and in Jesus's day, they didn't do it that way. And, and the text shows us that because what does it say? The words specifically say he brings out all his own and he goes before them. So literally, the shepherds go in front of the sheep, and rather than pushing them from behind, they lead and they call them with their voice. Okay, now, this is the picture of God. This is the picture of the Christian life, okay? Like it or not, how many of you are leaders? Like, I want to be in charge, I want to lead, I want to... You're designed to follow. Now we could argue you're designed to be a leader. You're designed to follow. You have a shepherd. You have a leader in the person and work of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. You have a leader. You're called to follow him. You're called to follow his path. Now it's really easy. I mean, can you, can you, can you work with me here? It's really easy to, to play this game where we chart our journey looking back at God you with me God you with me so where I'm going I want to make sure you're still with me God you pushing me here that's not the picture the biblical picture is we have a shepherd who goes before us who leads us we're going to look at Psalm 23 in a second maybe some of those images are going through your mind who leads us who go like the image of going before us is so powerful. Okay? Any of you going into an interview or going into a situation that you're scared of or you're uncertain about or a, a job situation or a friendship that you're uncertain about but you really believe that God is leading you to do that? He goes before you. Like he's marking the path and he's calling you. And he's looking for danger. And he's looking for holes that you could fall in. That's protection. That's safety. Mark chapter 6 says, 
talking about Jesus says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Like Jesus looks upon these people in Mark 6 and he sees this crowd. They have no leadership. They have no shepherding. And his heart's broken. Because he's like, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And so what does he do? He becomes their shepherd. He begins to teach them. He begins to pour into them. He begins to invest in them. Who's around you that needs shepherding? Who's around you that needs leadership? Who's around you that needs you to provide some loving care to them? Just like Jesus did. But here's the other thing about this picture is that I believe it calls every single Christian into a place of spiritual authority. Where we're called to submit ourselves to the spiritual authority of the church and of the body. Okay, so in our context, it's the elders. The elders are called to be the spiritual head, the spiritual authority of this community of faith. And if you commit here, you're submitting to the authority of the elders. But equally so, I believe you're submitting to the authority and the protection of one another. That you're inviting each other into each other's lives. You're inviting yourself. You're saying, I'm going to invest here because I know that where I go off on my own, there's problems. Where I sit and do life with people, there's protection. So I'm submitting myself not to my own authority but ultimately to the authority of God, entrusted to the authority of the church through spiritual leadership and through God's people. He goes on, let's look down at verse 7. It begins to expand the metaphor a little bit. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, have you ever been to the Cardinal game? And in between innings, they put like this guy up on the jumbotron. And he has like three doors to choose. Have you ever seen this? And like, so there's like three doors and and he chooses whatever door and like behind door number one might be like like four box seats you know it's like ooh, like that could be great you know um and he's like do you do you want that or you can choose another door you know and like behind like door number two might be like a box of cracker jacks or you know like um season tickets behind door number three okay like all over the place you and i have people and material things that are pushing for this truth that they're the door for you to choose. That they're the answer, that they're what you're going to want, that they're your savior, like they're going to be what you need. Jesus says, I'm the door. 
Anyone else who tries to argue that you'll find hope in this person or you'll find hope in this situation is a thief and a liar. And they're out to steal, kill, and destroy you. But here's the truth. I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now, I've studied this verse and taught on this verse so many times, but this specific time of preparing for this and study um, came across a definition that was pretty incredible that I felt took it just a whole new perspective. Um, Abundantly literally means that which goes beyond necessity. Like, Like life beyond your wildest dreams, one commentator put it. Like, like, here's what you need, but then here's who God is, and here's what he offers in the Christian life. Like, that's, that's this door, that's this picture that Jesus is the only means by which we are saved, that our sin is defeated, that we're saved from hell and destruction, and that we enter into a hope-filled reality of eternal life. And then it goes on in verse 11. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Notice that language there, okay? Talking about Jesus being the good shepherd, okay? We just got done walking through this, all this illustration of, of shepherding and leading sheep and, and pushing sheep and all those different things, and here Jesus is like, I'm the good shepherd. I am the one Well, there's the only hope, the only salvation. I know my own and my own know me. Let me ask you this. Do you, do you know God? And you're like, come on, I'm in church. No, like, I mean, like, do, like, do you know him? Do you know him? Okay, let me ask this question. Do you ever question his goodness? You're like, I don't know how to answer that. Okay. The more you know God, the more you'll be set in a foundation of God is good all the time. Okay. And not that you won't have thoughts of doubt, and not that you won't have those like burdensome, like, God, what are you doing here? But you'll be set back to, God, God's good. I know him. I know that's who he is. Listen, that's what it means to know God. Is that the different situations in our lives, the different circumstances, different individuals can't push us and sway us. But I think it also includes a yearning and a longing for there to be deep affection to know his voice. That's the picture here of Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd. I'm not a hired hand. I'm not a guy that's going to bail on you. 
I'm the guy that's going to take the wolf out, take the devil out, take out sin because I own you, I purchased you. And to the extent that you and I resist his leadership, to the extent that you and I resist his shepherding in our life, literally, listen, you're resisting good. Think about that. Like, yeah, I know. Like, but no, like, think about that. We're literally resisting. Like, if, if God's allowing circumstances in your life, you're resisting them. You're resisting obedience. You're resisting the good hand of God who knows you and loves you and didn't just throw himself off a cliff to say, look at my example, but gave up his life so that you and I might have life. Do you believe that God is for you? had so many conversations with my wife through our 10 years of marriage. And I can't tell you how many times I've told her, I feel like you're against me. But what's incredible about 10 years of marriage is I look back on those conversations and I laugh. Because there's no person more for me than her. And in those moments where I'm like, I feel like you're against me, all I'm saying is, like, I don't want you to help me process through God's healing work in my life here. I don't want to grow. So will you just like cry with me and whine with me and not push me to be more of a man of God than I am? And that's what she does all the time. How often is that us with the Lord? God, you're so against me. Why are you doing this? He's like, no, I'm so for you that you don't even realize it. I'm so for you. I'm the good shepherd. And here's, here's just kind of a, of a confession that I want to I make or just kind of as I was studying this and just kind of something the Lord pressed into me about what it looks like to be a shepherd so God's brought me here to lead here, to be a pastor here, um, to minister here. And even as I study this passage, like the Lord's been convicting me and showing me, like, how, how, can I, how am I laying down my life for you? How am I serving here? How am I loving you? Because a pastor and an and, and a elder is really called an under-shepherd, that we shepherd under the good shepherd who leads us and entrusts us with the care of his church. And God's just really been working on me and, and, and pressing me to think through that. And how can I be a better minister of the gospel and love you better and more faithfully? But Jesus here really is showing this picture of authentic security. Can you think of a more safe place to be than a God who's walking, who's taking the lead, who's saying, come on, follow my voice, follow my lead. I'm watching out for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to make sure you have what you need. The text goes on in verse 16. All I have, and, and I have other sheep, that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. 
So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So really, what that, what's happening here in this verse is, Jesus is saying, there's one church, and I'm the pastor of it. It's not just like salvation for the Jews, but all non-Jews, all people all over are invited into, are invited into the kingdom of God, are given an invitation into the kingdom of God to know him. One flock, one shepherd for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said these are not the words of the one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So picture this. These individuals that are literally throwing stones at Jesus and calling him demonic. Some of them are the ones, the very ones who will put him on the cross. And you know what Jesus just said? They're not responsible for it. He didn't go to the cross because these guys put him there. You know how many times in the scriptures it says... His time had not yet come. You know what that teaches us? God's in absolute control. Jesus is like, no one takes my life from me. So it wasn't like these soldiers that were like, you know, we're going to take you and we're going to, you know, handcuff you and we're going to put you on a cross. He's like, don't do it. You know, he's like, no, like, I give up my life. But more than that, the, the bright hope and the celebration that we have this morning is that I'll lay it down, but I'll stay down. I'll rise again. I want you to turn to Psalm 23, and I want to wrap up by reading through Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Is that you? Like that, that God's, that you're in a position where you're positioning yourself under the waterfall of God's grace, that you're just like, I have everything that I need. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He doesn't abandon you. He doesn't um, run away from you. He doesn't put you in situations where you're going to be done for. He's like, no, I'm going to give you what's good. I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures. I'm going to lead you beside still waters. He restores my soul. How often do we make attempts to restore our soul rather than letting the shepherd do it? He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because we're heroes, hero Christians, and we're just supposed to have this resolve? No. Because he's with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Gosh, how true is that of us? Of our cups 
of the grace and blessing of God overflowing in our lives. I don't care what you're walking through. I don't care how hard it may be. The grace and love of God is overflowing. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. All of them. All of them. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, forgive us. for the times when we failed to surrender ourselves to your good leading. Forgive us for the times when we walk in our pride, walk in our independence, and believe that we're a lot smarter at pursuing our own good than trusting our good God. You are such a good shepherd. And you lead us down paths that aren't always the easiest, but are what is good for us and for your glory, for your namesake. So God, I pray that in this moment, that you would move in our hearts, that you'd stir our affection for you. Where we don't know your voice, would you stir us to know it? Would you stir us to sit with you, to be with you? God, would you make these words that are in this book come alive in our hearts? Would you make the truth that we've just looked at, no matter how weary we are this morning, no matter how tired and we can't even keep our eyes open this morning, you make them flourish in our hearts? And would you grow us as your people to trust you more, to love you more, to walk with you more? Thank you for your voice. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for leading us. God, you are good. In Christ's name, amen.